thank you so much for joining us here on the Whiskey Dicks podcast, where we talk all the latest in whiskey and dicks. I'm here with special guest Devin Kivioya. Uh, I guess you can call him uh, a dick expert uh, and, and a whiskey connoisseur. Devin, uh, I wanted to ask you, have you tried any good whiskeys this week? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I tried a wonderful uh, clear whiskey uh, from um, Capus Casing, Ontario, and it's called White oh, Owl. Shit. And okay. since this is the Whiskey Dicks podcast, I actually do have my dick soaking in it right now. <laughs> uh, I added in a little bit of uh, rosemary and okay, uh, a wow. little bit of seagrass. And uh, yeah. it's it's a really nice soak and it exfoliates and uh, hydrates the people. Doing a little bit of uh, mixology there. For the ladies, you know? Okay. Yeah, a little bit of mixology, but also flavors. a little bit of that uh, modern trend for um, homeopathy, too, mixed mm-hmm. in there. You know, yeah. it's a little bit for everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit new age. It's a little bit hipster. I like that, man. Uh, that's that's good. I've tried a, a whiskey this week. I tried uh, Gibson's Rye 10 Year. It was pretty good. Ooh, um, yeah. Put, put it in some old Gibson's fashions. I've always found on the sweeter side, but it's good for mixing. Mm-hmm. It, that's what it was for. Yeah, I mixed it mostly. Put it in old fashions. Put it in uh, in Manhattan's. Uh, you got any uh, penis related news? Any uh, any any cock news <laughs> this week, Devin? Um, I, I really wasn't able to come up with anything <laughs> in the uh, the world this week in cock okay. news. And uh, history hasn't really come up with any kind of new cock news. No. Uh, so uh, I was just going to uh, you know give a little cock care tip for people out there. Okay. Um, well, I found these new underwear and they have sacks for your sack. Forget briefs, forget boxers, forget boxer briefs. These are like boxer briefs with a bag for your balls. Go get them. They're all over the place, but it, okay. don't go to Walmart because it's all smalls. No, 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 no. Never go to Walmart. <laughs> uh, I've got a little bit of dick news right here. <laughs> um, so from the Daily Mail, uh, co.uk. A uh, father, 47, whose penis fell off due to blood infection, reveals how he lived with a new one attached to his arm for six years. <laughs> he says he burnt it while... This is all in the headline, by the way. He says he burned this it while real. cooking. Oh, oh, this is real. He said he burned it while cooking and hits relatives in the face <laughs> with his genitals while hugging. <laughs> a man who's... I'll read, I'll read a little bit uh, more of this for you. A man who uh, spent six years with, a pe- with his penis attached to his arm after an operation went wrong, has revealed the difficulties uh, caused by the unusual genitalia placement, uh, including snuggling to cuddle his grandmother, uh, yeah, putting it, actually touching his grandmother with his penis here and burning it while cooking. So uh, that's pretty, pretty I'm just imagining like contact sports, you know. You're trying to play football and you're trying to take a guy down from behind and then you wrap your arm around him and he gets your balls in his face and totally fucking fumbles. Yeah. You know, out goes the ball, play over. <laughs> I, I can't believe that that's real. This is terrible, man. Yeah, that it would create so many problems in your life, like the least of which maybe is uh, is hitting your relatives with your with your arm dick uh he, he got a blood infection so then they they did a surgery they put it on his arm temporarily but i guess because of covid it like took longer oh so he just had a I, that was my next him. question yeah so that's what's going on here so hopefully this guy is able to <laughs> get the the dick off of his arm um yeah i uh, i wish him all the best of luck yeah that was probably uh, the longest hopefully uh hopefully he doesn't cock it up you know this I didn't even mean. Hopefully he doesn't cog it up. I didn't even mean for this to be a pun, but that was the longest fake intro we've ever done for this podcast because <laughs> this is not the Whiskey Dicks podcast. Although I feel like that could be a pretty good podcast. Thank God. Maybe maybe we yeah. Thank God. Maybe we will start a podcast about that. Um, nah, probably not. Maybe just whiskey. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> this is the... We'll talk it out after the after the podcast, yeah. We'll talk it out later, but this is the... I'll try not to bang the dust too hard. Photo Friends Podcast. And the guest is real. It's Devin Kivioya, a good friend of mine uh, who's given me some pretty crazy eyebrow action right now. Uh, Devin and I have known each other since we were born, pretty much, uh, in Timmins, Ontario, ever since high school. Uh, started hanging out a little bit. We are members of the Historical Society, <laughs> Devin. 
Yeah. So, you know, just to give you guys some some sense of our uh, nerd credentials. History. Yeah. Sense of our history. Uh, what are we covering today, dude? We're not going to talk about uh, this guy with a dick on his arm for, you know, potentially two hours here. Um, we're we're going to do... Unfortunately, or fortunately, rather, we're going to be talking yeah. about uh, the Apollo program and yes, some sir. of the photographs that went along with it. Yes, and sir, uh, yes, I guess sir. the historical context. Hell where yes. that all came from and why. Hell yes. Since it is the uh, Photo Friends podcast, we're going to talk mostly, you know, about uh, the photography side of it. I'm kind of going to handle the the technical stuff there. uh, And, you know, Devin will be able to share quite a bit of of, uh, knowledge related to, you know, the meaning of these photos. I think those are kind of the the maybe maybe there's three things that we want to accomplish here as we uh, load into the capsule and uh, and prepare for takeoff. Right. Like we want to cover the history. We want to cover the technical side, how they took these photos in space, which is, you know, kind of an accomplishment in its own right. And, uh, you know, then we want to cover the meaning of these photos and kind of what um these scientific developments like going to the moon like why bother and that type of thing what it actually means for humanity uh like some things i definitely learned like that we take for granted today uh that we learned just by going to the moon right and it's interesting that you say that because as somebody who's always found this really interesting i always took for granted that these sorts of things were common knowledge. But yeah. as I uh, was preparing for this podcast, what I learned from a lot of people around me was that uh, not really at all. No, um, I just figured everybody went back and read it like I did yeah. because it was just that interesting. But yeah, it's not the case. Yeah, not everybody. I think people, it's one of those things where people know, right? That like uh, we put a man on the moon uh, sometime in the sixties or like, or maybe they don't even know that they're just like, at some point <laughs> we put yeah, a dude on probably the moon, more right? like that. Yeah. Yeah. At some point there's been a guy on the moon. Most people know that. Right. And they look up in the sky and they can, uh, and they can see the moon, which I've been doing quite a bit lately, just kind of staring at the moon, thinking about the moon, uh, listening to Brian Eno's, uh, Apollo. I sent you that. Hey, did you check that out? I did. Yeah. 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 It gets in my headspace. <laughs> very fitting. Yeah, yeah, and I know what you mean. I uh, I stargaze a lot when I'm out camping, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, I do spend a lot of time just pointing the binoculars at stars. Yeah. But then sometimes, you know, when I get caught up in just kind of looking at the moon and what you do. Yeah, man, uh, we'll have to get you good. We'll have to get you good uh, SLR or something like that, so you can do a little bit of uh, astro uh, photography while you're out there. Eh? That is one of the next steps. Actually, a friend of mine just a couple months ago, she got a beautiful shot of the Northern Lights just with her yeah. S20. Holy cow. Um, just doing a, a long exposure shot and it was absolutely beautiful. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's sick, man. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Maybe we can do a whole oh, yeah, episode sure, yeah. on it at some point. <laughs> uh, but I yeah, think that's yeah. one thing I want to do before we even, uh, get any deeper into this topic. I do think that with the amount of research also how just like me and Devin tends to go, I mean, we're not drinking whiskey that much today, so we might not be talking for like seven hours uh but i think we might talk for two hours so i just want to warn you guys this is gonna be i'm calling it right now devin it's gonna be a two-parter i hope you're uh you're down for that. that's okay with me yeah we're gonna you can break it into two parters that or after the third or fourth part we're just gonna turn it into a whole separate (laughs) podcast and we'll go in that direction yeah 50 part series uh On, on photography in space yeah on photography in space uh with a special special guest of whiskey uh yeah man <laughs> is it cool if i uh set the scene a little bit for us here just Please. uh as we go in i'll probably you know note to myself here this is where i'll probably want to start rolling that uh moon music and put some moon Please. music on all right so Devin, you know we're kind of getting old man we're in our 30s but we're not that old we weren't alive back in 1961 when president john f kennedy probably everyone's favorite president right i i can't meet i I can't think of very many few people who don't rate him high yeah yeah he's in everyone's top 10 for sure top three i'd say anyways yeah i'd say yeah (laughs) unless you just hate them all and you're like oh they're all bad but i don't know that's a different debate anyways uh Kennedy in 1961, he got up uh, in a speech before Congress and he said that America would safely um, bring a man to the moon and return him home before the end of the decade, right? Giving him until 1970, right? Only nine years to accomplish 
what at the time was seen as like literally a pipe dream, right? And like people were smoking yeah. a lot of weed then and probably something that people talked about in uh, in college dorm rooms and that now that I'm thinking about it, right? While Calling it highly pinball. ambitious would be an understatement. It was probably the most ambitious goal that's ever been set for a civilization yeah. in history. Wow, wow. Yeah. That is possible. That that is possible. If that's true, I have written in my notes here just to make it. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are Canadian. We have a lot of Canucks that, that listen. So, uh, cool. just to, for a hockey analogy, it's kind of like saying that you're going to win the Stanley Cup when you've just learned to skate that year, right? <laughs> like, it's kind of like saying you're going to win the Summit Series when you just learned to skate that yeah, year. You're beating yeah. the Soviets. Hey, you have, there you go. Have that's a clear a, advantage. That's a better. That's a better reference. That's actually way more historical. And also, Devin's proving uh, that he knows more about hockey than me but uh i love hockey <laughs> <laughs> i know what the blue line is though and shit like that so you know i have i think there's two of those i'm pretty sure there's two of them yeah that's a, that's a good canadian uh, how many blue lines are there right and then you can be canadian or not like if you <laughs> if, if you're colorblind they're all blue lines hey that's true i guess i don't know man there's that whole thing Wow, this is going to derail us right away. But there is that whole thing about, like, does everyone see the same colors? You know what I mean? Like, I call it red and you call it red. Anyways. Yeah. 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 But uh, but Kennedy, Kennedy actually did it, dude. Um, right? In 1969, you know. Well, well, he didn't do it. Nixon did it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but America, I, did, and so America like, did it. I was going to say, yeah, this very much was, like, a national effort and i mean there's yes. a lot of times where things get done and people say oh we all did a great job go team but really very much uh, one of the reasons that going to the moon was selected as the goal was because um neither the neither the soviet union nor the americans had even begun developing the technology to do it so to set that as the goal put them on even footing but doing it for either side was going to require uh, massive amounts of coordination of mm -hmm. not only getting enough materials to put them together but uh, in some cases getting enough very special materials to help those things run uh, the coordination of science and engineering uh, and, and well the attempts at trying to keep it from each other but in any case it really was uh, very much not something that the president did it was one of those times where the president pointed and then a whole bunch of qualified people mm, made it mm. happen. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't want to give all of the credit to, you know, just the president, obviously. Um, there yeah. were hundreds of thousands of people who were involved with putting a man on the moon. But I do think that you shouldn't discount the the fact that, like, none of that shit would happen if the public wasn't behind it, right? Like, at, at least in some sense. And maybe that's why we don't have that level of... Uh, funding and stuff for space exploration these days, at least in the West. Well, if you think about what was going on at that time, um, I mean, at the at the end of World War II, um, all of a sudden, with very little uh, warning, two atomic bombs are dropped. Mm -hmm. And most of the world's major civilizations had been working on the atomic bomb at that point. Um, but uh, it really... Even though they knew what to expect, it was very much a game chamber changer. And once World War II ended, there was this very tense, uh, but still sort of cool, sitting around the table, looking at each other quietly with eyes, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then right around 1957, uh, Sputnik was launched into space. And mm -hmm. uh, it pointed out to uh, America this huge disparity. Uh, in that uh, the Russians were able to reliably put things into space, uh, that they were able to put things into space that were considerably heavier than the Americans could and put them way farther. Yeah, more, uh, power, this... more powerful rockets, uh, higher like technical understanding of putting stuff in space. And, and we'll get in, into like how hard that is, right? It's not easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and this really did put the fear of God into the people of America. Mm -hmm. um, the that idea they were going to get that... left behind, right? Like exactly that. so all of a sudden everybody felt that fear that they needed to keep up and this was the beginning of the the red scare in a lot of ways that would eventually turn into um mccarthyism and stuff like well, that but at first what it I was think you was could, the you could, you could argue that the red scare started before world war ii was even over but <laughs> no, that's fair they did start to find russian spies yeah. in western civilization during world war ii yeah i don't want to get into 
too too deep before we yeah. just establish some uh, ba- basic facts here, though. So I, I love that, though. Thank you for setting that up, man, because that's important. Like the the historical context here, the the competition with the Soviet Union, like that's definitely something that I want to accomplish with this with this uh, episode, these this series, whatever, showing the context of it. Because as we were saying earlier, like you can just say, "Oh, man, went to the moon," but until you and I've learned, like I, I kind of thought that I knew a lot, and I've learned a lot more researching this, and now I have a much better picture of the the A to B to C of how that happened, right? Like, you can't get anywhere until you get like halfway there, I guess, right? And how that like builds on, and then you know by the time that you're you're halfway to the moon, you're doing some stuff, you have to everything that you've learned, you know, it's all like cumulative like that. So it's kind of it does look impossible until you start trying to do it, right? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's it's. I hate cliches, but it's one of those uh, journey of a thousand uh, thousand miles starts with one step. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, um, for sure. And uh, I think that it's made NASA very good at visualizing their tasks in steps, and you can see the evidence of that and what yeah. they have planned for the next few years. Right, right. Well, I don't know, man. China's kind of kicking everyone's ass with that stuff right now. But well, we can talk about that uh, maybe at the end of the podcast. <laughs> so yeah, yeah let's, talk, <laughs> let's talk about uh, the missions a little bit that led up to Apollo 11, right? Like I really want to focus on Apollo 11. Uh, and, but I, as I kind of came to my own realization on that one, because I was like, oh, let's we have to talk just, about Apollo. Yeah. 8. Like, how can we talk about the uh, the photos um, that were important in the history of, you know, space photography, space photography and space exploration if we don't start a little bit earlier. So before Apollo 11, uh, there were two programs. Uh, correct me if I get anything wrong here. Mercury and Gemini. Yep. I'm going to call it yeah. Gemini because that's how that's what the space dudes call it. And I'll tell you why maybe later. Um, okay. <laughs> but when it came to uh, actual Apollo 11, just some people that you need to understand. Uh, key figures, obviously, Neil Armstrong. You've heard his name. <laughs> you want to do the other ones? Yeah. Then you've got uh, Buzz Aldrin, mm-hmm. who was the other man who went down to the moon with Neil Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And then you had Michael Collins, not that's Phil, true. Michael. Yeah. And uh, he was the man in the command and service module. Who How crazy would that be if it was thing. Phil Collins, though, right? Like, that would have been Yeah, nice. I know. Well, and like, if it had been Phil Collins, I really hope that once he was on the dark side, he would do some like, you know, like, this is the best place to record. There's no sound. There's no nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I never thought about that. I, uh, Space is the ultimate uh, noise reduction, right? Yeah, in a lot of ways. And uh, I've often liked to wonder... Uh, what could have gone on on the dark side of the moon when those men were alone yeah. uh, that nobody would ever know. That's true. Yeah. They could have, they could have been having a whiskey dicks podcast of their own behind the moon. If you, yeah. Know, if you know. yeah. They could have had little what radios meaning. out trying to transmit to Jupiter or something like that. Who knows? <sighs> they could have been having a party with the aliens, dude. We don't know what they were doing. Right. We don't know. Yeah, exactly. G- getting some crazy uh, camera technology that we don't even know about, but we'll, we'll not spend too much time on things like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're gonna stick it to the facts Devin uh so do you do you know any stuff about these guys I, Neil, I know that Neil Armstrong was a sick pilot uh that's why he was chosen for uh, landing the actual lunar module uh that took balls of steel he did I believe he registered the most hours of training uh and also I think he maybe had like the most uh, registered like flight hours of the three of them um, but I also yeah. think that like Aldrin was a close competitor I believe that Buzz Aldrin um, I know I know a little bit about uh, about uh, Buzz as well but is there anything else that you know about Neil I don't know much about him honestly um, I, if you haven't seen the movie that came out about him a couple years ago uh, it's worth a watch but First uh, Man. If there's one yeah if there's one thing to understand about Neil it's that um in a lot of ways, he was driven by some trauma that he had experienced in his life. Mm. Um, but aren't, that, aren't we uh, all? Aren't we all? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But I mean, like, after a point, Neil became um, extra driven. You know, he was the he was the only astronaut in the Apollo program who went out of his way to build a um, essentially a practice um, lunar module, which had a, a jet engine on a gimbal oh, in the center. Wow. And uh, you can find videos of him practicing with it until he very nearly kills himself and blows yeah. it up. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he spent when he, when he got out of test piloting and got into the astronaut program, yeah. he really dedicated himself to it in a huge way. Uh, now, as far as uh, Aldrin, um, 
I know that he was a well edu- well educated and equally competent pilot. Yeah, he had a uh, like experience in academia, I guess physics. Uh, Doctor Rendezvous is what they called him, right? I don't know if he had a PhD. Yeah. Maybe he did. <laughs> I don't think so. I think he was a military pilot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was just a very educated military yeah, but pilot. I that could was, be wrong about that. Yeah, but his thing, the thing that he was studying was that, like, rendezvous, I guess, um, like, spaceships being able to go back and forth, which was, like, super important, right? To be able to dock and whatnot. Super important for this mission. Um, they didn't have the, the SpaceX shit back then, right? Where you can kind yeah, of... Yeah, exactly. It, it wasn't going to be realistic for them to build one ship that would leave Earth, go yeah. to the moon, leave the moon, come back. So yeah. the, uh, the in-space docking was very important. <clears throat> what I can say about a lot of these guys is that um, even though NASA and even some of the astronauts like to uh, reflect the image that uh, they were um, good and virtuous and mm. uh, very uh, calm and mm. careful all-American boys, um, you know, a lot of these guys uh, were not that. Um, and uh, when I think, oh, of, you had to be uh, crazy to do this, right? Like when you think, oh yeah. That. And when I think of Neil Armstrong specifically, I read about a story where he was a test pilot with Chuck Yeager, and they were testing one of these rocket planes that essentially <laughs> they just were testing had... Yeager bombs. And then... yeah, <laughs> I like that. Uh, like rocket planes with skis on the bottom, with the intention of landing in salt flats, right? Huh. Uh, but. While they're flying together in this plane, something goes wrong with the landing gear and Chuck Yeager essentially admits, I think we're screwed and I have no idea what to do. And Neil Armstrong says, I'm pretty sure I can get us out of this. Yeah. But um, I don't think it matters either way because like, if this doesn't work, nothing was going to work. I don't remember exactly what hand it happened, but they survived the landing and the plane did not. And Chuck Yeager later said, He's the best pilot I've ever seen, but I will not ever fly with him again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get the sense that he was out of his mind, but uh, he he definitely had like nerves of steel. That's for sure, right? Absolutely, yeah. And we will get to that when we get to the actual landing on the moon. Yeah, to be able to to come through in the final hour to actually like hit that game winning three pointer at the end, right? When like the whole world is watching. Yeah. Yeah, and and when nothing goes according to plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. I like that. That's really good. I have uh, more facts here, just general, you know, things that people hear, and then they're like, what does that mean? What's the eagle, dude? Oh, we didn't even talk about Michael Collins at all, and that's rude. Um, The Collins glass was invented because of him. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, He was another (laughs) guy. He was another guy. (laughs) He was, yeah. So he went went around the moon uh, while they went down there, and... uh, I think that uh, a lot of people might think in their minds, uh, you know, it must be a letdown let down to be the guy that goes to the moon but doesn't land there. Mm-hmm. But when I read a lot about how Michael Collins felt about what he was doing and what he was doing, um, he really was just so um, so caught up in being part of the mission. That's right. And, and the goals of the mission that mm-hmm. um, he didn't care that he wasn't going to be the one landing on the moon. He was just psyched to be there and nervous uh, about that chance that they might not come back, essentially. You know, mm-hmm. he was just focused on doing his job and being ready to do what he would have to do. Um, but uh, the command and service module had a little bit more fuel than the um, than the lunar module did. So mm-hmm. he was also considering the idea in his head that if they didn't have enough fuel to come back, he would go get them with or without NASA's permission. Yeah, man. Yeah, I don't know how much I don't know how much, uh, uh, much bartending that you've ever done in your life, but every bartender will tell you a good bar back is worth like two more bartenders. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> no, really, for sure. Support is way more important than than what's going on um, on the front lines. You know, if you've got the best, most qualified people on the moon, and all of the most horrible engineers on Earth you know exactly uh, dude yeah taking care of them there's, there's really not much chance for them yeah yeah if you just have uh, a room full of bozos you know like trying to tell you what to do and you're up there in the spacecraft right that's it really was it, it wasn't just those three guys it was everybody else who uh who put it together but we we remember them the most
Uh, let, what's the eagle, dude? Can you t- can you fill me in on that? So the eagle was the, the eagle name. has landed, right? Everyone's heard that, but like, what the hell is the eagle? What is that? So the eagle was the name that they gave to the lunar module. Yeah. Um, I mean, essentially, um, every like you mentioned earlier, every ship that went to the moon detached from its rocket, turned around and reattached to a second craft. Now, the Eagle was what uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, they left the Apollo Command and Service Module, which is the big silver uh, kind of tube thing. And they got into this, which was, um, I mean, essentially, if I'm being honest, um, uh, a thicker kind of uh, aluminum foil with gold on it. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, some some stress struts and legs, you know, uh, if somebody had tripped and his head had gone through the wall, you know, the whole thing might have uh, might have uh, imploded and come apart. But so they climb down into this thing and they detach from the Apollo CSM. And this was the craft that they took down to the moon. It was extremely light. Uh, it was just barely big enough for the two of them and for some of the equipment they were bringing. And it had just enough power to bring back, uh, I think, about 50 or 60 kilograms of moon rock. And, uh, and I mean, in very tight fashion, like after they loaded up all the samples, they then went inside and threw out everything they didn't need, including yeah. cameras and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, the cameras are still up there as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if somebody's so inclined and uh, camera collecting does bring big money, then... Uh, Someone might take a craft to the moon someday and steal that Asselblad. <laughs> That's the ultimate but, treasure. The ultimate treasure hunt, bro. That's a movie. That is a movie. Treasure hunt on the moon, man. I like that. <laughs> but uh, this this whole thing, they had the whole thing thought out. It had um, little compartments on the bottom that they could just open up and throw their uh, their uh, rock samples right into. But it was even thought out from a press sense. And so I, I don't know what the physical mechanism is, but essentially when Neil Armstrong stepped out the door onto the ladder, there would have been say like a button or a lever. And when he activated it, it um, unlocked a compartment with dro- which dropped out the press camera. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading something so about that. Yeah. He, he, he gets out onto the ladder, presses the button, the press camera pops down. And then he's able to get right down and do the whole theatrical yeah. thing right there for everybody. They it had was, the whole thing thought out. It was a really important part of the mission, like documenting, absolutely the, documenting the stuff. Like they were uh, like um, videographers and photographers, and like the, that was one of the things that they were trained to be. In fact, they uh, I read that they encouraged um, the the astronaut to get familiar with those particular types of cameras, uh, those Hasselblads and yeah. to, to the, what is it? The, the 500 C or whatever the hell, um, bring in, bring them on family vacations and shit like that. So that's kind of the, I, I kind of think that's interesting to think about like their mindset was family vacations while they're hanging out with their buddies on, on the moon, taking photos. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I don't know I, if they were that close really or anything, but I, in my head, they're like, yeah, dude, hanging out, taking some photos with, with the buds. Um, they, they didn't get to drink any beers or smoke any joints probably on the moon, but, uh, maybe that's one I of the things it, that they that don't tell us sick. About, about it, you know? Uh, well, and actually as time goes on, we, we eventually find out more and more about little things that they don't tell us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It all gets, but that, that yeah. Freedom of information. Doesn't necessarily like that, right? Freedom here. of information acts like some stuff will come out over time. Right. So that's interesting. Uh, some more uh, fa- but yeah, sorry, go ahead. Just to touch on something you said, I think it was important to NASA and they knew right away that uh, photography was going to be one of the ways that they help justify themselves to the public. Yeah. Um, you know, like if, if people are already complaining about all this funding you're receiving, yeah. Uh, one of the ways that you can show them why you're doing what you do is to say, hey, look at this. Yeah, yeah. And it, the, you know, the like, how it plays into the larger competition of nations and uh, like the, the Cold War and all of that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. The justification obviously uh, is there, but also just in terms of like advancing what humans like think of ourselves and uh, what, our, you know, our kind of self image and like the things that we can achieve with science and stuff like that. So there's a lot of reasons to do it. Uh, some more facts that I just wanted to get out here. The moon is a quarter million miles away, everybody. So if you want to get to that moon, you're going to be expecting that uh, round trip, I guess, half a million 
miles. It takes three days to get there, and it takes three days to get back. And then they were dicking around, <laughs> dicking around, <laughs> dicking around on the moon for a couple days, uh, and came back. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, 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 having a couple of puffs and a couple of laughs. Uh, Twenty-five billion dollars is what it cost at the time for the uh, Apollo Eleven mission. So that doesn't include any of the other shit. Uh, all the other Apollos, the Gemini's, the uh, what's the other one? Mercury. Um, Mercury. Yeah. Yeah. So that's two hundred billion dollars uh, adjusted for inflation. I, this is as, as good a time to get into it. Uh, why Gemini? Do you know? Uh, as far as the name. Yeah. Why is it? Why pronounce? Or it like just that? why? Why was Gemini begun? No, why was it I actually it don't. Oh, I don't know why they pronounced it like oh, that. Actually, I, I was always curious. The best okay. reason, the best reason I was able to find is that it's just faster to say. So, like when you're doing space shit and like every second is precious, right? If like guys out of the spaceship or something, you don't want to be saying like Gemini. It just comes Gemini comes Gemini. through. Yeah. What's up, Gemini? 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 When you're coming through on the radio, watch out, Gemini. Gemini takes longer to say. That's the only reason. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. You'd think they would have gone with really cool call signs like uh, frankincense and myrrh or something like that, you know? Well, they didn't want it to be one. Yeah, they didn't want it to be like one religious affiliation, right? So you kind of wanted it to be like a. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not like. I I didn't even pick that because of religious affiliation. I picked that because of Toy Story. But uh, the interesting thing is that uh, in the Apollo program, they allowed the first few guys that went up in a command and service module to name it rather than naming it themselves, Apollo. And I think they ended up with uh, a command and service module named Charlie Brown and a, lo- a lunar module named Snoopy. And then after that, they, uh, um, NASA basically said, we're not we're going to the moon and we're not having you guys take cartoon characters to the moon with you. We're yeah. choosing. <laughs> they could have got, they could have got Garfield and snuck it under. Cause Garfield was a president. Right. So you know, like, that's, awesome. Oh, that's fair. But yeah, yeah, not one anybody cared about. Yeah. Oh, wow. But anyways, sorry. Throwing shame on Garfield's. All right. Riding Kennedy's dick earlier. And now throwing shame on Garfield, bro. Hey, 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 I, I am the first to say that I think, uh, even though I like Kennedy, he's not who people thought he was. Well, yeah, to, not to spoil it. We'll get into that later. But I sent you a picture yeah. that you, that you were like, what is this shopped? Uh, it's him, him and Werner von Braun. <laughs> Werner von Braun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, put, Just me and my Nazi buddy. Him and his Nazi buddy hanging out, rocking some Ray-Bans, looking at the old... Uh, <laughs> Anyways, we'll talk about that later. Uh, let's just talk about the fact... Yeah, I, I just want to establish something that like really... I think it's super important to like understand all of this shit. There's this tendency, like with a lot of historical stuff, I feel when people, you know, like amateur historians like you and me, you know, who read, read about this shit and study it or, you know, just the general perception of the public um, that like when something happens, it was inevitable. Like even America becoming like the biggest, most powerful country or, you know, all these different things that like the Nazis didn't win World War Two. Right. We were like, oh, it's inevitable. It was always going to play out that way. Like there's there's contingency points. There's forks in the road like you know this wasn't always going to play out this way and there's like a lot of things that that had to happen and i just want to emphasize how like complicated this is like it's very much slapping god right in the face like doing this is not something that is simple or taken lightly uh in fact like the uh 
you know, even the ancient Greeks had myths about this stuff, right? Like Icarus, what, yeah. did, Ic- what did Icarus do? He flew too close to the sun, that wax melted off of his wings and he freaking died. Right. And like he had done, yeah. every, he had done a bunch of gnarly shit before that. I think he even, is he tied in with the Minotaur? Pretty sure he kicked the Minotaur's ass before that and everything. Right. And then still, I didn't think that that was Icarus, but I could be I wrong know. about that. But uh, to your point, <laughs> I, I do like, um, maybe I, I'm I combining really two fucking physics. random things. <laughs> i uh, i do really enjoy physics and space physics in general as something i study on the side as well and what i can't tell you uh is that um you know we're talking about speeds that are greater or velocities that are greater than any human has ever gone before yeah yeah and the faster you go the more physics wants to stop you the more it holds you back Mm -hmm. the heavier gravity pull gravity pulls on you the more air resists uh, the idea of how much faster and how much harder it is to go from, uh, say, a speed that might allow a rocket to mm-hmm. hit the continent mm-hmm. than it is to have a rocket go to the moon, uh, the amount of, of power, of force, it's not, um, uh, it's not a Safe. linear progression. <laughs> it's, uh, it's No, no, it's, it's something that it gets uh, exponentially harder to do yeah. uh, the faster and farther you want to go. Yeah, you need um, way way more fuel, way bigger explosion, way more power. In fact, like a lot exactly. of the, the a lot of the early missions, uh, you know, didn't work out. That's why it took so long. That's why there was there was Mercury, there was Gemini leading up to this. Try to work out all of those kinks, and then what happens to Apollo One, right? Like going back to that Icarus thing. Like if you were trying to take a message from God in that, the message was like, don't do this, because what happened, right, to Apollo One? And I, I think uh, a lot of societies had they been more religious in nature they may have taken their cue right there and said okay well this is our cue to stop Uh, but i think the americans being the americans um their sports culture makes them highly analytical in the way that they do things so when something goes wrong whether it's business or military or science they do that thing that sports teams do where they bring back the uh they bring back all the footage and all the recordings and they Mm -hmm. go through everything second by second and they figure out what was done wrong and they move on we should tell the people in case they don't know the three astronauts died right so that sucks spoiler alert spoiler alert uh on on apollo one and those were like very like these are highly trained dudes and there's only so many of them right like that's the the thing to understand like with this bigger picture of all of these missions and stuff is that it's not like you only go to space once right like these dudes that they it's almost like shifts uh you know at the yeah. at the mine or whatever you know you show up you do your shift and then they're like oh you gotta you know take a couple weeks off and come back like that's literally it was like that it wasn't a couple weeks but you know what i mean they rotate them through and, oh, and it was more than once so yeah. it was literally all just down to one guy arbitrarily yeah. too like yeah. uh essentially just kind of deeks latent he yeah. was an astronaut and then they found a medical defect in them and they said well hey you're a pretty smart guy, so we're going to put you in charge of astronaut shifts and rotations. Yeah. And uh, it became this incredibly complex uh, system where it sometimes becomes hard to explain why this person ended up on this this mission rather than that mission when they were supposed to go first. But it either way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, luck of the draw in that way, right? Which is a crazy element of it. And yeah, like even um, modern shit is super, like this the shit that we have now, how many, if you search like SpaceX, right? It's mostly yeah. videos of those things blowing up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and that's a luxury that Elon Musk has. When you're, comp- when you're not running your space program on public dollars, you are perfectly free to test yeah. things by blowing them up. But as long NASA as there's not people in the fuckers, yeah, I guess. Exactly, so. but NASA didn't have that luxury, right? Imagine mm-hmm. as the head of NASA saying right. to a Senate subcommittee hearing on how you spend the tax dollars, yeah. well, so why did you blow that rocket up? Well, because I knew I was going to learn a lot from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> you uh, it, that was that. also the unique strength that the Russians had in the space yeah. race, was that um, they weren't having to necessarily account to the public about what they were doing or how. Right. Um, so they were perfectly free to build yeah. something they thought would work. Yeah. Well, I'm, test I'm, it. Have it blow up. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up the Russians because uh, just to point out how difficult this was, like, and we talked about this earlier that, like, in fact, Russia at the start of the space race they were ahead, right? Like, uh, oh yeah, indisputably. We'll get into some of the details later. First man, first first thing in space, 
first man in space, like all of that type of stuff. Or not first yeah, thing, but all, first first satellite. Huh? We'll we'll get into all that those stuff poor later. dogs. Yeah. A couple of dogs. I think only like two dogs, man. I'm dogs. not sure actually. Anyway, the Luna, the Luna 15 was a space probe that uh, almost got to the moon in 1969. Crashed into the, actually did get to the moon, but crashed on the landing, <laughs> right? So yeah, it 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 did get to the moon. Um, it just uh, didn't have any instruments that were intact once it got there to yeah. achieve any other messages. <laughs> However, there was a landing on the moon. They, yeah, they they landed it on the moon, technically speaking, right? But just just to highlight the difficulty of this stuff, um, very basic computers. It's often said, like uh, everybody says, they're less powerful than a graphing calculator. The computers aboard uh, Apollo Eleven. I can do you one better. Game Boy, right? The computers right? aboard Apollo Eleven were less cal- uh, were less complicated than the key fob for your car. No way, dude. No the way. The key fob for your no car way. has more memory and more processing power. Wow. the apollo 11 computer i guess the thing about like the apollo it. 11 computer is that <laughs> it was uh much more manually operated yeah um so that's why uh when you read about apollo 11 you hear that often two guys would sleep yeah. and one guy would stay awake and he would be on the line with nasa yeah um you know doing things that they said you know um uh, prime o2 tank one and two and uh you know turn on the deheaters here and uh, for example, they had to make sure the ship was in constant rotation uh, so that they were getting even heat from the sun, mm-hmm. uh, different wow. things like that. So, yeah. uh, And doing Apollo all of that 11, with the most basic computers that like you could really think of. The the Game Boy one, I think, is funny, less powerful than the original clunky Game Boy as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. In terms of the and processor. And when we say that, we're talking like processor and RAM, at least I am, like the, yeah. the gigahertz and whatnot. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, do you know about um, the... Uh, do you know about the Van Allen belt? Do you know what that is? Yeah. So the Van Allen belt is a belt of radiation around the earth. Sure is. Um, it's a very intense uh, kind of radiation. And for a long time, people were concerned that passing through it as part of space travel uh, would be very harmful to people. Um, I think what generally ends up happening. So in the case of the Apollo astronauts, when they passed through the Van Allen belts, they were doing something like, and I don't remember either 10,000 feet or 10,000 meters per second, Hmm. but they passed through the Van Allen belt so quickly Mm -hmm. uh, that the amount of radiation they received, I guess it was more than usual, but it was only about a quarter to a third of what a person would get normally in a year. So Hmm. by no means uh, dangerous. Yeah. But if you hang out in that Van Allen belt, that's like uh, that Van Allen. That's a bad place. That's like an after hours, you know, like you don't want to be in there for too long. You just get in there, buy the drugs and get out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah pretty much like unless you're unless you're looking for uh you know somebody who to hook up with who has like an extra arm or an extra boot yeah. or something yeah. like yes. that just if that's give or thing. go or that dude who's got the penis on his arm we actually brought it back yes we did oh it. there's that yeah. hey that's a good one so that's one of the things you can grow a penis on your arm if you're in there too long. Yeah, just, you know, showing you again how difficult this is. Just everything was on unknown, dude. Like, we didn't know what was going to happen. Like, what is your head going to explode or your balls going to explode? Like, well, we and, don't and know. even just take the clock back a little bit, right? So if you think about like, so at the end of World War II, the United States took a V2 rocket from the Germans and fired it into space with a camera oh. on the end. Oh, they got a crude black and white picture of like maybe one-fifth of the earth mm-hmm. and when i saw that it kind of made me realize try to imagine what it must have been like in a time before you had ever seen a picture of the earth from space yeah in a time before you were not even sure if you could go there like like what if there's what if it's just a fucking black wall and we fucking yeah. smack into it you know mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. It really was, like you say, just an unknown. And um, there was a time for a long time where people thought like, like we can't just go there. There'd be no way. And, you know, the the earliest shooting of rockets into the atmosphere was when people really started to question like. Yeah, you might as well have said we're going to like go to heaven and like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for most people. Well, if Kennedy had said like we will send a man to heaven and bring him back safely. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they did with Apollo one. They just, I don't think we're able to bring them back safely, unfortunately, but yeah. Well, and I mean, like, it's funny, you know, a lot of people think of Apollo one as like 
it was going to be an actual mission. But yeah, that's what that you told was, you and you told me about this. They were just turning it. They were basically because it had so many. Yeah, this is all fitting together really well. Like the the Saturn V rocket had so many different components, and they were all built in different factories and shipped around and whatnot. So Apollo One, they weren't even trying to launch that thing. They were just trying to get in there and turn the fucker on and be like, does it turn on? Basically, right? And then yeah. yeah. So you've got all the components from the rocket. Then you've got the command and service module, which was right. made by two two contractors together. And then you've got the lunar lander, which was made by a completely separate contractor. So you want to stack them all on top of each other and turn them on and make sure everything works first. But mm-hmm. after that, the intention was to fire the thing with nobody in it. Yeah, yeah. It was all about building up steps incrementally. Uh, but Apollo 1 just received a lot of press because... Yeah. They, it was a time where they wanted the press, they needed the attention and to show that they were making progress, right? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. The guys that they picked were specifically picked for that sort of thing. I mean, if Gus Grissom hadn't died in the Apollo 1 fire, he probably would have been the man who piloted down to the moon, not, not Neil Armstrong. Yeah, and one of those guys was from uh, Gemini uh, 4, Ed White, I believe, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, Um, lost a lot of important people on that one, for sure. It it was a very all-star kind of crew for a test like that. But uh, at the same time, I think it's unfortunate that it had to come with a a loss of life. But also, I think that it was necessary that it had to happen. Um, All of the astronauts in the early 60s were really having questions about the safety of the system and how it was being put together. I heard a bunch of interviews uh, of astronauts claiming that nobody quit. Nope. Nobody quit as far as I'm aware. Uh, they were they were like very, very concerned about what was going on. But uh, instead of quitting, they would do things like. Um, so, for example, uh, the guys who died in the Apollo one fire took like a very um, candid kind of cute photo of themselves. Yeah. And uh, they all signed it and they handed it into the head of astronaut um, uh Simon speaks late and I think and essentially they signed it and it said please don't kill us <laughs> something along those lines but um, if you listen to the recordings of Apollo 1 yeah. literally about 15 seconds before all of the calamity starts yeah. you can hear Gus Grissom say well how the hell are we going to go to the moon if we can't talk between us here in three buildings you know and then about 10 seconds later uh, you hear somebody say we've had a spark in here and then you just start to hear yelling and commotion and that's just about all of it. Uh, I don't go out of my way to listen to no, the recording too often. I've heard it two or three times, but uh, either way, I think what it comes down to is that if it hadn't happened, these kinds of mistakes would have ended up happening in space. Yeah. I would have been really worried if you told me you listen to it every morning. I would have been like, oh, Oh, yeah. Every day I get up and uh, I listen to uh, the Apollo 1 crew burning. And then I like to hear the grizzly man getting eaten by that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It really gets me in the mood (laughs) for the day. Throw on some videos in 9-11 and, you know, you're just. Kids kids falling off bikes, too. I I watch kids falling off bikes all day. Skateboard fails. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, God, Kay, that is funny. Skateboard fails are always good, yeah. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the the ones the girls who try to do tire swing and then they're into the water and all that stuff. They're never good at it. I don't know what any girls who's ever any girl who has ever weared uh, booty shorts apparently just can't can't do it with the tire swing. I don't know what it is. So there's got to be some science there though. We'll get NASA on it. Um, I always <laughs> have such a hard time focusing on the tire swing. <laughs> <laughs> that's sick dude you totally derailed me with that um Okay, so you mentioned a little while back, uh, you said something about Germany. That was weird. What's what's up with that? Germ- German V2? What? what? The, the, you mean to tell me that the Germans had the best rockets? Uh, it's before? funny. Um, 
I feel like this is uh, one of those questions that you know the answer to that you're asking oh. me. But here we go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it's as good a time as any. We got to cover this at some to, point to right? segue so, into it. Yeah. So um, for most of uh, World War II, Germany had been working on rocket rocket technology primarily because um, they found it a very easy and low risk way to bomb Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and these friends. were very rudimentary rockets. Uh, aiming was uh, a loose kind of word. You know, they would just kind of point these things at Britain, and you know, they would drop dozens every day just for the sake of causing damage, scaring people, lowering morale. Mm-hmm. But they never really put very much thought into them beyond that. Yeah. At the same time, Germany also had their own program for an atomic bomb goal. Mm. Uh, which uh, historically they were kind of headed in the wrong direction and it would have been years before they figured it out. But um, they did have some of the best uh, rocket scientists in the world at that time. Yeah. And the rockets um, become much more deadly the minute that you can put a nuke on the end of that, obviously. So, Or if you can have them guide themselves. Yeah. That was really a huge change in rocketry because it was like I said, with the V2, it was loosely aimed. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, uh, near the end of World War II, the Americans and the Russians saw the way the winds were blowing. And mm-hmm. so they both initiated very aggressive programs yeah. to sweep through Europe yeah. right behind their advancing lines and pick up every single rocket scientist yeah. or physicist that they could from Germany yeah. before the other side got them. Oh, yeah. We'll get into Operation Paperclip here in a minute. But I do want to just give you guys some uh, facts on the V2 rocket. Uh, Here we go with some German pronunciation for you guys. I'm probably going to fuck this up. Virgil Tungswaff is the V2. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a German for vengeance weapon, I think. Something like that. Uh, And this kind of this will tie into a lot of what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Luckily, humanity was able to reverse this trend. But the first thing, the first human-made object ever in space was this, the V2. Yeah, right? 100%. Yeah, so it, it's uh, got to, um, I can't remember if it's 10,000 kilometers or whatever. I can't exactly remember, but uh, I don't... enough to qualify as space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, there's a lot of fine distinctions there. I mean, uh, there's a difference between a thing briefly being in space on a parabolic arc and a thing being in orbit. Uh, so yeah, those rockets did reach space, but, um, yeah, they didn't get into orbit for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. In case, sorry. do you want to talk a little bit about how these things got made? This will be the ugliest part of the podcast for sure. <laughs> uh, how the V2 was constructed, the kind of conditions. Do you know anything about that? I know a little bit. Um, although I'm going to say that I'm guessing, when I say that they were probably assembled um, by some sort of slave labor force um, at gunpoint, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know that for sure. And beyond that, I can say that a lot of the fuels and components for these things would have been toxic. Uh, um, I'm not so sure about that, but yes, it was um, concentration camp labor uh before we get into that i did just want to clarify this uh the the how they they say this thing got into space it's the carman line uh so so that's a hundred kilometers above the earth right Uh, yeah so that's where like uh, you mentioned aurora earlier so that's where aurora are in the atmosphere uh times that by four and you're at the iss right so yeah yeah, just to give you guys a sense of that. Um, yeah, I'm kind of just putting off talking about the brutal part of this. <laughs> yeah, the, no, please. Uh, uh, middle, middle Boo Dora, that's the name of the death camp where all of the workers who built the V2 were taken from. Obviously, other than like the, the, the people who knew the tech, the scientists and stuff like that. But we're yeah. talking the people who worked in the factory, assembly, assembling these things, um, doing the the soldering and whatnot, uh, 10,000 people were killed, um, just like directly working on this, basically worked to death building these V2 rockets. Um, yeah, kind of horrible shit. There is this thing that I learned that I've heard people say before about the V2. It's kind of one of those just like little historical things that people throw around that, that more people died working on the V2 than were killed by the V2. It's actually true. I'd have to, 
It is. I, yeah. I, wow. Doesn't it come off as one of those, like those, oh, it's too good to be true historical myths though, right? Yeah, it comes off but that way. Yeah. It, but in a society where you have disposable people, that's an incurable cost. Yeah. Oh, they, they're so going to kill them. For example, Britain would never have been able to produce the V2 yeah. rocket that way because yeah. they did not have an expendable class of human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For it sure. was a unique, I, I hate to say it this way, it sounds a bit cold, but it was a unique luxury that the Germans had. Yeah, yeah. To have a slave labor force who they yeah. saw as, as subhuman. Yeah. yeah, not to like um glorify that obviously in any way or try to say that that no. was like a good thing but to to put it in context and to explain it and i think that like this helps to explain um as we'll we'll get into uh operation paperclip and um the russian equivalent uh operation here we go with some more pronunciations uh also vakim <laughs> right that's going to put into it's going to put into perspective how russia got ahead and and then it's also going to put into perspective how america was able to surpass uh russia in the space race they both have the same answer they learned it from nazi scientists right so that is yeah fucked um but important to put this in context otherwise it's like how did they come up with this shit right like this this makes it make sense to me i'm like oh that's how they did it they got Werner von braun brought him over gave him a clean bill you never did any nazi shit did you or you you didn't really believe in it they said right or whatever right so yeah but if you if you go back into the history with Werner von braun that definitely wasn't exactly the case mm. yeah there's a whole book dark side of the moon um which is like a big uh, biography that I was actually looking into buying. It seems really interesting. The the hardcover is like over a hundred bucks on Amazon. That's the only reason I haven't bought it yet. <laughs> oh wow, Jesus! Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyways, do you want to talk a little bit about um, paperclip? I guess uh, that's a good thing to get into. We're at like uh, a long a long podcast here, but let's let's maybe cover paperclip, uh, and then we'll uh, start the next episode with um, Gemini. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so, paperclip. Gemini, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Gemini, <astronauts>. yeah. <laughs> All the astronauts listening. <laughs> so, paperclip was uh, the conservative, concerted effort by the Allies at the end of World War II. Um, essentially, when everybody realized it was basically over, there was a mad dash to Berlin. Uh, the Nazis had scientists and engineers and technology. Uh, all sorts of things that people wanted. So um, it was a, a very huge thing. Um, almost anybody who was anybody in um, a German higher officer uniform at that time was ditching their uniform to try and find some some private's uniform or some civilian clothes. But mm -hmm. uh, there was a, a lot of aggressive processing of people, um, you know, like kind of holding people before releasing them or literally uh, in a lot of cases, having these German scientists say to themselves, um, the Russians are coming. Yeah. And I think I'd rather be with the Americans. Hmm. So I'll turn myself over to them now rather well, than hopefully being caught by the Russians, which was a thing. The Russians, a lot. the Russians employed them too, uh, you know, so. Oh, yes, for sure. But I think in Germany, there was definitely this sense of, um, we participated in something horrible in Russia and definitely they'll need me and want to use me. But I think the Americans will give me a better deal. Mm -hmm. um, and this wasn't just the scientists either. Um, as the allied powers rounded in on Berlin, uh, the people in charge in Berlin over and over again, tried to make peace deals with the Americans specifically yeah. mm -hmm. only to have the Americans say, I'm sorry, I can't participate in a peace deal without mm -hmm. the Russians. Yeah. Um, well. So in a lot of cases for German people, it was it was you, you might get caught by the Russians and you'll probably be OK if you're a scientist. But um, there was a lot of them, uh, Werner Braun Braun being a particularly good example, who felt like he'd probably receive better treatment from the Americans than the Russians. Yeah, he got treated great. He was hanging out with Kennedy and all that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He had it pretty, pretty goddamn good. Oh, yeah. It was grand for him. Not a problem. I think that. Uh, there's the old adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm. And then there's also um, the enemy The enemy who has what I want can also be my friend. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's like... And, 
and all is fair in love and war as well, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the the fog of war, like there's these decisions that get made, and yeah, I'm just glad that ultimately, you know, it's it's pretty uh, fucked up that they hired these Nazis. It's two thousand on each side, right? The Americans hired two thousand uh, Nazi scientists with paperclip, and uh, Osavakum on the other side. That's two thousand uh, Nazis. So it's it's like the NHL draft of of nazis <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting right uh, you know uh, this old team's been uh taken apart and sold but uh, there's still hockey players on that team yeah you know? <laughs> exactly right there's still a lot of talent even though the you know the central office has has kind of gone down and it's funny because yeah. at the same time there was a concerted uh, effort to assign blame heavily so it's like mm you line up a whole bunch of people at um at nuremberg who mm-hmm. are not useful to you mm-hmm. and yeah you make a show make them. a big show of that shit yeah exactly but then you quietly take these other nazis who can serve you and just quietly shuffle them away and then do a little bit of um historical uh redrawing or apologeticism where it's like uh, well well, you know, no, 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 no. The it wasn't that the the rocket scientists were Nazis. I mean, everybody was a yeah. Nazi. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's a thing, no big deal. Yeah. yeah, you see this with the with the Wehrmacht as well. Uh, there's this myth of the clean, virtuous uh, German army right. who were not Nazis, but just an army. Um, but uh, it, it, honestly, that just was not the case. Uh, the German officer class was uh, very much into Nazism. The, the Wehrmacht participated in uh, a lot of war crimes and did some horrible things. So there was just kind of like after World War II, there was an effort by people who needed German people, either for themselves or the reconstruction of Germany, to redraw that history so that those people could be left to continue to help Germany regrow and yeah. rebuild and stuff. And, you know, like it, I would judge it. I judge it harshly, obviously, like the, that they yeah. that, that they use these employ these Nazis. There's there's a whole thing of like if you don't use the technology from all from even what was ill gotten, right? That you're kind of letting those people die for nothing. There is that argument exactly, um, exactly. And I do think that at least they the people who took charge of this shit did use it um, in a peaceful way, right? The the American mission to the moon like they didn't you know, maybe that was propaganda but they said like this isn't this isn't america doing this this is for the entire earth and crap like that right um and, and uh you know making it a peaceful endeavor rather than using those uh rockets for you know killing everybody on the earth i mean america killed a lot they used their um <laughs> nuclear, nuclear bombs they killed a lot of people uh but eventually were able to to turn this towards a more peaceful like it's still a competition of nations but a more peaceful one and and similarly with the russians like i don't want to discount that the first um it's like a broad picture of both of them trying to not have too much militarization of space. Uh, the first ever modular um, space station that Russia mm-hmm. ever put up into space. Guess what they called it? They called it. They called it Mir. Right? Do you know what that is? The Russian word for world peace. Okay, I was gonna say I thought it was just peace, but. Uh, yeah, I thought so too. And most most things on, I have the advantage of having a Russian girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, I'm pretty up on my Latin from having studied Roman history, mm-hmm. but I know very little about the Russian yeah. language. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a positive enough note to end on for this episode. We've got a good solid hour of podcasting here. Uh, so you know. Um, Devin, thank you for bringing all that knowledge, dude. This has been a, a wicked first bit. Uh, in the second half of this, we're going to talk a little bit more about the space race. Uh, we're going to finally get into some photos. We're going to talk about, um, yeah, we're going to talk about Ed Ed White. Uh, we're going to talk about Earthrise, uh, and we are going to actually talk about Apollo Eleven. So Exciting. that should be uh, some pretty gnarly stuff. Uh, anything that you want to let the people know? Do you care about social media? I don't know. What do you what do you, what do you want the people to know before we go? Uh, well, uh, if you uh, want to see any of my uh, artwork, you can check me out at Devin K Painting on Instagram oh, or Facebook. And uh, I'm going to be looking into maybe getting into history podcasting soon. So look forward to some kind of announcements on that. 
Holy cow, I'll promote the shit out of it if that actually happens, dude. Maybe Devin and I will do a podcast, uh, start some type of partnership. We'll talk about it. We got a lot That's of That's actually something in my head, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, um, somewhere you guys can check out uh, this podcast is also on Instagram. We're still using that, you know? Uh, everyone is kind of, I don't know, where they use TikTok, but I don't use that. I use Instagram. <laughs> Photo <laughs> underscore friends underscore pod again i don't know why i'm trying to make this longer it's it's already like an hour and five minutes and i'm like let's stretch it out more for some reason i've got you can edit it (laughs) i can edit it i've got some uh photos up already about this whole thing some of these very famous uh space photos i'll be sure to put out a few of them so that you guys can check them out uh normally i have before we go the guests just say something random do you want to tell anything random to the people devin if there were some random words that I would like to have with the people out there, I think they would be um, Swiss cheese. Nice words. Ottoman. That's a word. And vociferous. Vociferous. What does that mean? Those are three. Oh, God. I think it means somebody who talks a lot. Hold <laughs> well on. Oh, vehement or clamorous. Okay. So just he was a, a vociferous opponent of the takeover. Ah, uh, so just like really intense, overbearing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The vociferous rhinoceros sat on the sofa and ate some Swiss cheese. There we go. I used it all. In there the we go. Exactly. And added rhinoceros. All right. That's probably, that's probably good. <laughs>